this podcast was recorded at the American headquarters of the Ethereus Society, located in Hollywood, California, where service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. Welcome to our fifth class on the Nine Freedoms. And this one is... Cosmic Consciousness. Cosmic Consciousness. We are... I'm Brian. And I'm Richard. Good evening. Um, I just wanted to start out by saying you might wonder why we have three freedoms or what many traditions deal with in one word, the nirvana or um, enlightenment. And here it's broken down into three levels, enlightenment, cosmic consciousness, and ascension. And clearly, it's a long ways away from us. But like finding a destination and trying to go towards a destination, it often helps tremendously to know as much as you can about the destination. It kind of helps your visualization. It helps your determination. It helps your motivation. And so even though this is a long ways away, cosmic consciousness, it's very much worth our study and um, really thought about. Um, did we want to start with a question from last week? or? Well, oh, uh, why don't we mention cell phones? Yeah, just, cell phones. just heard because she just yeah. turned hers off. Yeah, Everyone make sure they have their cell phones off, please. Me too. Yeah, last week we, we uh, spent our time with the fourth freedom, which was enlightenment. And we learned many things, and there wasn't sufficient amount of time to really talk in length uh, regarding this great freedom because it covers such a vast terrain, a terrain that spans over thousands and thousands and thousands of incarnations, as Mars Sector 6 describes. So in our attempt, in our study group, it is to cover these freedoms with respect and cover them with honor, and yet touch on some very important points along the way uh, so that we have a greater understanding of these nine freedoms. And when we go home and open these books or listen to the cassettes of our master's lectures on the nine freedoms, we have a greater appreciation from this time we spent together, which hopefully initiates us into further delving into these mystical texts. We have questions every week. And one in particular was posed in uh, regards to the freedom enlightenment. And I'd like to read it. It says, how do we keep our spiritual path to enlightenment and beyond? An arduous and lifelong task from becoming a drudgery. In other words, how do we keep our joy up and our happiness when we're performing service? Uh, and indeed, it's going to be lifetimes of service, according to Mars Sector 6, lifetimes of challenges. And so I and Brian thought about this again and came back to a simple little book, booklet. It's called The Importance of Commemoration. There's actually two writings in this small booklet, produced, I think, in the early 60s. And the second one, as I'm referring to answering this question, is called Spiritual Happiness. In the Master, Dr. King, I'll read one or two paragraphs, which 
answers this question regarding drudgery, we'll go forward and answer it this way. It says, you know, the word spiritual, in my dictionary, applies to most everyday actions, as well as mystical practices, whether it is done by a waiter serving a meal in a restaurant, or that done by a person in this room giving divine healing. Both these jobs can be acts of spiritual service. Without this right outlook on life, you cannot ever know what true spiritual happiness means. This is a very down-to-earth approach. We're talking about a very down-to-earth thing, spiritual happiness. It is also down-to-earth that according to the Master Aetherius, it is the birthright of every man, woman, and child on this planet. You cannot have a mental stimulation of any practical, solid, and down-to-earth than that. Spiritual happiness comes from within, but it is also molded, blended, and cared for by the outward expression of the individual who wishes to grow this wonderful flower within his heart. Give everything you can to life. You will then be able to take everything that you need back from life. There is no doubt about this. I mean everything, including this much sought after so-called happiness. As a matter of fact, the next step from spiritual happiness is spiritual joy. When this is born in your heart, even though you might be miserable on the outside, you will have had a certain confidence, a certain mastery, a certain calmness, a certain peace on the inside. I think we could do well to remember this, act on this advice and plant, tend and grow to ripe fruition the tree of spiritual happiness within our own hearts so that others, too, may enjoy these sweet fruits. So that's a praise of about three or four pages. And essentially, through the performance of service, number one, the bravery in the beginning, the first freedom, leading to love, service, enlightenment. This expands, as we know, through thousands and thousands of incarnations. And there are periods, no doubt, that we'll find ourselves in the valley of indecision and the valley of drudgery. However, as the Master put it, is if you, t- if you give everything that you do in life as a spiritual practice and give it all that you can give, then it tends to be equalized throughout your entire lifetime. And then it blends into other things that happen in the future, which can be spiritual joy, lasting inside your heart. Good. Now, now Richard and I, we um, wondering how we could approach cosmic consciousness. And so we decided that the best way, of course, is through experience. And so we thought that we would work really hard for this past week to try and gain cosmic consciousness yes. so that we could speak from experience. Almost had it. But we just didn't quite make that. that. So uh, instead of talking as much as we have in the past, we're going to turn much more of the floor over today to one who has had cosmic consciousness, and that's uh, Dr. King. So we're going to have a little bit more of his lectures tonight, because he really nails it, uh, we felt. 
uh, in these lectures. But why don't we start as we normally do, with a uh, brief opening by Mars Sector 6. Um, let's all get ready. And this, of course, is the important part to really set the, the energy, the tone of the night. And tune in, of course, to the words, but most importantly to the energy of Mars Sector 6 in this very short 55-second extract. Mark? Are the fifth of freedom will be a cosmic a consciousness freedom from a limitation is only are brought about by sincere and diligent a directed effort through a countless incarnations upon terror. I'd like to continue reading. It is not some vague thing which just happens. It is made to happen. Terra is a great classroom to which pupils have come to learn many lessons. They pass from grade to grade through countless initiations, through countless apparent deaths, when they cast off gross physical limitation for a time and travel to another, more subtle plane to learn, then to return again to benefit from their previous experiences. There comes a stage when the desire to break forever the bars of selfishness dawns. Service is performed. There comes a following stage when enlightenment, like a sun, doth flood the server with this golden light, wisdom dawns. And that brings us to cosmic consciousness. Three key words, I thought, that we were all describing and learning from this last um, several weeks together. And the Master Mars Sector 6 here uses them in a profound sense. And he speaks about the word sincere, as in sincerity, diligent and directed effort. We go back to this predetermination of last week. We go back to the thought of holding as clean a lifetime and removing the fear and then replacing it with love, not selfishness, then coming into service, then moving into enlightenment, removing the ignorance. These three words help to direct us even closer to these, this next freedom, which is the diligence, the direction, and the sincerity. 
This helps a wonderful hand, invisible hand, to help guide us with these terms to move us through this lifetime. And if we take these words and concentrate on their significance, you'll find that you are empowered. And it becomes more and more clear that your divine heritage, the spark of God within you, is emblazoned and encouraged to, re- to release its light. And in this process, what we're discovering towards cosmic consciousness, obviously experience, which we'll learn this evening from a master who did all of these aspects of bravery, love, service, enlightenment, experiencing cosmic consciousness, that he was sincere, he was diligent, and he was directed. It also helps, I think, to um, keep our minds on the right goal. I mean, so, so many people and so many advertisements and uh, things that we see all around us um, suggest that the real goals are different from what we learn in the Nine Freedoms. And so it's good to really focus on the goals of enlightenment, cosmic consciousness, and ascension. That is made to happen. It doesn't just happen because you dream it. It is made to happen. It's a deliberate, purposeful intention every day you wake up and every moment you spend on this planet. And of course, we went back to a few freedoms before, and we're talking about 24 hours a day. Even when you project, you are responsible for your behavior. I have not to talk much about this, but it's an interesting fact. When I've had conversations with people personally, how they've talked um, about their dreams and talked about their projections. And some of them have been legitimate projections. And some, some people have ended up in some pretty nasty situations. And if you listen to the master's uh, lectures on projection, he tells t- uh, stories regarding individuals who are in the physical body, the day-to-day, nine, normal day, are very spiritual people. But at night, they actually transformed to become very different people, almost the opposite, where one man was actually recruiting for a black magical ring and approached an associate that Dr. King knew of, both individuals, actually. Then he had to go help this lady who was being accosted by this spiritual man in the daytime who was actually recruiting this lady at night, in the projected sense, in the astral, trying to get her to be involved with a black magical ring. So... There is a lot to be said about uh, this type of 24 hours a day that we're talking about here in our early stages as we develop throughout these freedoms, these basic freedoms, the early freedoms. And it it, it goes to show, as we read on about the cosmic consciousness, these very clean and deliberate planting of seeds at the Master Mars Sector 6. I think, in a way, knowing full well that we, we would be reading this, obviously, and not experiencing cosmic consciousness. But it would help us to understand that when it happens, and it gradually approaches through these different stages, we would have already been almost like um, guided and softened in a way, this wondrous yet abrupt change in our status of being. So different, as we'll learn tonight, the state of cosmic consciousness versus what we would term ordinary terrestrial life on this planet. Very much so. 
Well, now it might be time to uh, let Dr. King talk a little bit about enlightenment. And here he explains, this is about a six-minute segment, where he explains enlightenment, which, of course, is the step right before cosmic consciousness. So let's listen to that. It's about six minutes. Mark, roll track two. In order to be enlightened, as I told you before, to give you uh, a scientific explanation for it, we raise the power of Kundalini through all the centers. We gradually do this through concentration, contemplation, and the end of this is meditation, where Kundalini is raised through all the centers, and all the centers are, to all intents and purposes, dead and the, we enter into conscious death, or a type of conscious death, a very, very deep state of trance where there's little or no warmth in the body, except around the top of the head, and that warmth stops rigor mortis setting in. Other than that, if you stayed in this type of meditation for several days, rigor mortis would set in, and you would be taken for one dead you see. But a slight warmth is caused in the top of the head which warms the blood enough to stop rigor mortis from setting in. This is meditation. All else is working up to it. All else is working up to it. Right, now suddenly, after going in and out of meditation many, many times and gaining great enlightenment, suddenly one day Apparently, out of the blue, something else happens. Cosmic consciousness comes. Your meditation is different. It's a much greater thing, a very, very, very much greater thing, a much, much, much wider thing, because you begin to feel at one with all things, and to be at one with all things is to know things. We cannot know about a dog, a cat, unless we are at one with a dog and a cat. How can we know about these things? How can we know about a Buddhism unless we are one with the Buddhic realms? All right, you might say, study the works of Buddha. It's not good enough. You will never know about it by studying the works, not really know about it. How do you know anything at all about plant life? anything whatsoever about plant life that isn't just basic theory unless you are one with the plants. How do you know about sound unless you are one with sound? Do you know anything about light unless you are one with light? How can you? You cannot. All you can know is scratch the fringe like a little child scratches the fringe of deeper mathematics by saying 2 plus 2 equals 4. Just scratching the fringe of it, and that's all normal man is doing, scratching the fringe of these things. You can read things, you can hear people talk. These things help you. Reading helps you. Studying helps you, most certainly. But to really become a knower, is something above this stage, is to have the practical experience 
of these things. I might turn around and tell you that the most wonderful sound on earth is the sound made by molecules of material rubbing together in trees and grass and flowers when they grow. That this sound is like a great natural symphony. I've experienced this. I know what it is. This is a part of cosmic consciousness. But my words are still only words to you. As yet. They're words which help. Do you see, I'm trying to point out the difference between a man and a knower. You then know. And a million words can't convince you otherwise, because you know. It makes no difference who was to come to me, who on earth was to come to me and say that light and sound are not different aspects of the same thing, that they are different vibrations, makes no matter who this person said this. I would laugh in his face, no matter who he was, because I have been one with light and sound and know that they are different aspects of the same thing, that you cannot light an electric light without making seven sounds, that there's no such thing as blue or green or red colors, that these are just something we see. But there is such a thing as a certain frequency of light which gives the appearance of being blue, but it also has six other aspects as well, which are totally invisible to normal man. And there's seven sounds that these aspects make off too. And each aspect has seven sounds, and it goes on ad infinitum. Or when you switch a blue light on in a room, you are doing hundreds of millions of things. You're virtually changing the vibration of the whole world. And it isn't until you have experienced some of these things that you know them. You see, everything else is theory. Some of you might consider that I am a teacher. All I can do is to give you theory. I can tell you what I have experienced. And I can also tell you very accurately what you will experience. But until you experience it, it is theory. So therefore, go ahead into practical application of these things. Good stuff, isn't it? It's, um, he really speaks in a way that it, comes across that it's, um, it, it's, it's so clear how different being one who's gone through enlightenment or especially cosmic consciousness is to all of us. It's a huge, fantastic step. And we learn later on um, what that person then does. And that's even more astounding. Because they, they give all that up to come back to help us. And that's the real, the real key, really, that, that threads its way right through the entire nine freedoms, is that 
It's all about serving those around you and those who you can help. That's the key. It's, you're meant to strive for these great heights, um, but not for yourself. You, you get these wonderful um, enlightenments um, so that you then are better in a better position to help others. And that's the great key. That just goes to well, all the teachings of the, of the masters, really. All the more reason to um, refortify our abilities to do that which we can do, which is to be brave. That's something we can truly accomplish. Uh, maybe not 100% brave, maybe 50% brave, but 50% is better than 10%. And these increments, the incremental changes in yourself are significant if you compare it to the world at large. And the majority of people who suffer in the morass of ignorance, in the morass of hate, in the morass of just completely godless existence when they don't have any appreciation whatsoever of the divinity of all things. So let's not look at cosmic consciousness as being something that you're not going to achieve. Let's look at it as something that you are going towards. And this is why it's so wonderful that we have nine freedoms. Not one freedom, not just one explanation, not one Bible, but a series of changes, a series of freedoms, as the Master puts it, that we move through, we take with us completely, we hold it, we don't lose it, and we move forward to the next freedom. So tonight, even though this is a very huge, awesome experience for those people who have achieved it, and very few, as we'll learn tonight, have truly achieved cosmic consciousness. Paramahansa Yogananda is mentioned tonight by Dr. King as being one who has and has written about it. So there are very few people who have experienced it, and very likely, I can't be correct of this, but very likely many of these people throughout the centuries who have experienced cosmic consciousness have not written about it chose not to put it down on paper, held that experience solely, totally to themselves because so sacred was it and so mind-altering it was. Who would understand? Here again, here's the beauty. Here we are sitting in a class in this temple, a temple built by Dr. King and his people. And he is a man who has been through cosmic consciousness and has left it so that he can continue to leave this legacy such as the nine feelings for us to follow. This is the beauty here. By the way, there is a beautiful um, description of cosmic consciousness in, in this book, uh, which we aren't going to read this time, but it's, it's, uh, I would definitely encourage you to, to read that if you haven't already read that, or if you have, to read it again, because it's just a stunning, uh, brilliant uh, explanation of the experience of cosmic consciousness. Now, one thing that um, might be helpful is just to kind of go through quickly the, the technical, if you want, aspects of cosmic consciousness and enlightenment. Um, and as, as we mentioned last time, uh, well, I think I mentioned last time, enlightenment is when you raise the kundalini up to the Christ center. And it's actually anywhere above the heart center. It's the heart center, the throat center, and or the Christ center. And all these you are then considered to be um, in enlightenment uh, or in meditation, a different degree of meditation. And then when it goes from the, the Christ center, the Kundalini, up to the Brahma Chakra, the highest center, 
That is then cosmic consciousness. And he kind of describes that a little bit later on, but that's the basic uh, description. Anybody have any questions on, on that? Is that pretty clear? You'll find that a lot of the questions that you may have wanted to ask may be answered tonight in the excerpts that we've selected by Dr. King because it's so thorough and expansive of these different uh, extracts that you're going to hear a lot tonight. going to go away with being filled, being filled. Maybe we should move on. Yeah. Uh, the next one is our second extract by Mars Sector 6 where he describes right after I stopped reading... Um, where he says, there comes a following stage when enlightenment like a sun doth flood the server with its golden light, wisdom dawns, and then he then describes cosmic consciousness for the first time. Let's listen to that. That's uh, about a minute. Let's just close our eyes for this one, I think, and just try and visualize as best we can this tremendous experience, this tr- great freedom. Mark, number three. There comes a stage when at once the consciousness of the individual soars to mighty heights, unlimited, unbounded by mind high into the realms of intuition, of divine inspiration, it goeth through space where time stands quite still, non-existent, immobile. Cosmic consciousness like the flower of God breaks from a bud into full lasting bloom. Perhaps we should just go straight into the next extract. This is our master speaking a little bit about these very sentences. Mark, track four. Cosmic consciousness, like the flower of God, breaks from a bud into full lasting bloom. No longer does such a one regard itself as this sex or the other. How can you be a man or a woman? Utterly ridiculous. For it is above such limitation. Sex is a limitation. The very fact that I I have to say on this confounded earth, I am George King, is a limitation. The very fact that I have to go in and say I was born in Wellington, England, is a limitation. I want to say... I am man, or I am human, born on the world, or give the planet its proper uh, uh, destination, uh, its proper position in the, in, in the solar system. 
but if you do, you're wrong. All these things are limitations, and in cosmic consciousness, you realize these limitations. And my friends, you know what hell is, because when you come out of cosmic consciousness, you know what hell is. Whosoever has tasted the nectar of the gods when he has to come back and eat ordinary earth food, well, imagine. You'll soon know. You'll feel like committing suicide. You will feel like committing suicide in whatever way will release you from the body the quickest, irrespective of whatever pain it might cause you, for weeks after this experience. But you will not do so, because you will be balanced and wise, but you will feel like it. No longer does a one take foolish pride in being born this race or the other, for it knoweth that it is a part of all the races. Of course it is. What are we all? We are expressions of life. That's what we are. Nothing more than that. There's not, there's not 50 people in this room tonight. There's one expression of life. That same expression of life, the same life is expressing itself through that dog outside as expressing itself through you. The same life is expressing itself through Jesus as it does through a rattlesnake. It's the same life. Life isn't any difference. It's we who have made it appear to be different by limitations we have imposed upon ourselves. And some of us have been forced to impose limitations upon ourselves to help them, the masses. All life is the same. It comes from the same source, it's going back to the same source. Some life is conscious. Some life is unconscious. The, the big difference between any person in this room, any person in this room, and Toby the dog outside, I'll tell you what the biggest difference is. It's not looks. That isn't the biggest difference. The biggest difference is this. Toby can say, it is. You can say, I am. And that's the biggest difference. And whosoever doesn't believe me, go into meditation and entrance that dog to feel its feelings just for a few minutes. And you will see that this is the difference. See, we've imposed these limitations throughout life after life after life, and the breaking away is difficult for us. It's very difficult, but it can be done. I want to stress this over and over again. Nobody, please, leave this room thinking, oh, this is highfalutin, it's up in the air, I can't do it. You can. You can start now. The journey's a long one. The Chinese have a saying, a wise saying, they say journey of thousand miles starts with single step. You have to make that step. You've made it. Take the next step and the next and the next. Your reward will come. It will. 
So what's it matter what race we are? Because we're all the same race. There's only one race on earth of people, that's the human race. Nice way of looking at it in the, the human race. Well, he talks about limitation here. We start to learn that limitation in the nine freedoms is very different from what is seen as limitations on earth by general mankind. And the nine freedoms tell us that seeing yourself as an American or as a Japanese is a limitation. Seeing yourself as a man or a woman is a limitation. Um, focusing on yourself or focusing on um, your family or focusing on your group or your city is a limitation. And of course, society rewards that. It, it rewards you having the SUVs and the um, houses in the, in the, the desert or the uh, mountaintops. Uh, it rewards you in, in, in kind of really focusing on your family. It, it kind of like it says, well, you should focus on your family. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, you should, of course, take care of your family. But people have gotten into this, this habit of focusing so much on their family that they, they insulate themselves from the rest of the world. And that's a limitation. And so you see, it, it's almost, in many cases, it's the opposite. You know, limitations in the nine freedoms is almost like the opposite of limitations uh, in our society. And this is something that it's, it's important to, to really think about because we're bombarded by um, the press and the advertisements and your friends and your neighbors um, telling you one thing, whereas truth is quite a bit more. Let's say it's different, but let's say it's quite a bit more. We have certainly, in civilizations, past and present, we have wrapped ourselves around with sens sensory pleasures. We have maintained a constant heartbeat with making sure that our touches, that means our touch with our hands, is uh, appeased, make sure that things of the eye that we have and we can build and create are appeasing, and we have the rest of it when it comes to sight and touch, food and things of this nature. All these aspects that we have created from this green planet, we have taken from her body, we have shaped it, and we've created this so that we can learn through experience that we need to leave it. We need to not ad adopt the constant need and want for things that only bring us limitation. Because the more we want, the more limitations we will acquire. And that's the principle, one of the key principles of the nine freedoms, is to learn how to be not limited, how to unlimit yourself or be unlimited. And the first thing to do is to take an assessment of those material acquisitions and perceptions, in particular perceptions, that we cling so fast to, so fast. I be it relationships, I be it positions at work, I be it the want to be famous and need to be recognized. 
all through this, there is not one phrase coming from this cosmic master that says, your reward from the divine is going to come via you being a president of the United States. No. 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 The, the head of a uh, movie studio or a physician. Uh, these are experiences. These are vocations. These are means to acquiring money. But the bottom, and power and influence, fame, things of this nature. However, the mainstream of people are on that road. You few people in this audience and those of you who listen to this podcast who have turned to your heart and mind and asked, what is the truth of life? Where am I going? Where am I in the cosmos? What is the cosmos? These questions are answered in the nine freedoms. It also, uh, he tells us very, very definitely that we've taken this step. You know, we, we, we've taken several steps along the path. And he's encouraging us to, to keep taking those steps. And even though the path is long and, and arduous and difficult, but he's saying that the rewards will come. And so each step we take, um, we will be given more rewards and we'll be given more ability to help others. And then that will help us take the next step and on and on and on. And it's, uh, but, but the key is to, is to stay focused. You know, both in this uh, freedom and the last freedom, uh, Mars Sector 6 talks about being determined and, and predetermine your, your path and really think about where you're going and use the energies to get there because there's so many distractions. It's so easy to get thrown off course. And if you think about how much time we spend each day, each week, worrying about material things, because we, we have to, but it's so easy to get so wrapped up in that. And, and you have to keep coming back to the, these truths, which would be the nine freedoms, the twelve blessings, and so many other um, spiritual works. Very, very important to do that. We are um, moving into the next extract where Master King talks about yoga talks about yoga. <clears throat> it's a very important uh, to listen to this particular extract because it has within it many answers to uh, the present day studies and applications of these cosmic teachings. Shall we do that? Let's move okay, uh, Mark, this will be um, track five. But let us study what the yogi does. He teaches himself how to impose limitation upon himself. If there's a person here who can perform the lotus pose, you know what I mean. In the lotus pose, you, with one foot up here and one up there, you cannot move. You restrict the circulation in the, in the legs. You force the blood up above the heart into the head to heighten consciousness but you cannot walk about. And if you sit in the lotus pose for long, you will become a cripple. The yogi purposely makes himself a cripple so that instead of having a physical movement, he will have a mental movement. In other words, he is giving up free will. You don't have to do this. But let us take service. 
You are giving up free will when you serve other people. You might say, oh, well, I'm not because I use my free will to serve them. You might in the beginning. But you have to give up many, many things in order to keep serving them. Do it and see what I mean. You're giving up your freedom, your basic freedom, because you're taking on yourself the worries and troubles of others. You know what I mean by this. This is giving up in a very practical way, far more practical than using Padmasana. When you restrict your breathing, you are, what, giving up your free will. You want to breathe more than anything on earth, you don't breathe. You are gaining a control over yourself by giving up your basic free will and exercising your definite will. So, that's what we mean. Free will is the tool of a very small and, un and, and unenlightened young life stream. Because we can't know freedom until we've given it up, and that's it and all about it. We can like it, lump it, put sugar on it, turn deaf ears to it, or be like an ostrich and stick our necks underneath the sand so we can't hear it. It's so. And there'll come a day when we will know it's so. The only thing is, if we don't realize it now, and we wait for a thousand years before we do, we'll kick ourselves around whatever room we're in at that time and say, my Lord, I've lost four, five, six, seven lives, whatever it might be. For free will is recognized for what it is, binding, breaking, individual. How can you get cosmic consciousness if you keep on pushing the fact that you are an individual? You're, you're, you're pulling away from it all the time. Cosmic consciousness is to be one with all. If you say, I'm just this bit and that's mine and that's mine, you are breaking away from cosmic consciousness. And yet people do this, you know. really a great description of karma yoga, isn't it? You just, it, it, it's a great way of thinking about karma yoga in that, you know, when you're doing your breathing exercises and you're holding your breath as long as you can comfortably, um, you really want to take that breath. And so you're, you're putting limitation on yourself not taking that breath. And it's the same thing with service. It's the same thing with karma yoga. You know, rather than do something that you want to do, you're not doing that, and you are doing something for another person. Maybe it's going to Operation Prayer Power. Maybe it's giving healing to somebody. Maybe it's helping somebody through a difficult patch. But rather than doing what you want to do, go to a movie or watch TV or relax in a hammock or something, you're doing something for someone else. You're limiting yourself for that other person. And the benefit is not only for you to learn that control, that limitation, but it's you're also helping that other person. You're showing that person that you care, someone else cares, that you, you, you care about that person, that you feel a connection with that person. 
And, and we're being told that this is the key in these days, to help others in as many ways as you can, as often as you can, and as potently as you can. Following along this line, very important point. Even though the majority of humanity are selfish and they are moving through their cycles of experience, remember that the majority, the great majority of the cosmos, i.e. the planet Earth in the great Deva kingdom, all the planets of the solar system, the sun itself, the galaxy, and beyond, all work according to the great freedoms that are being described here and beyond this particular structure. There is a fraternity of beings and life forms that give nothing but pure service. So we're not alone when we perform an act of service on earth. We are joining the real fraternity of divinity throughout the cosmos. You're not alone. It's when your mind says, I'm alone. No one else recognizes my uh, suffering by uh, giving prayer to the people in a hospital or whatever. No, you are not alone. You are completely together with those angels who are with you, even though we cannot see them. So we're joining a fraternity. You are part of a great, a greater force. Because we're not a part of humanity, we don't need their acceptance. They need to step up into this, this way of living, not us stepping back down. We've been there. That's a very good point. I've done that. <laughs> Plenty of times. Let's move on. We've got another uh, wonderful uh, extract. This one's on detachment, which, of course, is, uh, is necessary, too. It's a, big, it's a big aid in giving service to detach. So let's, let's listen to that one. That is extract number six, Mark. This is about six minutes. This is the great subtlety. Listen. And at its zenith, what? Continuance? Nay. This the great test. At its zenith, detachment. Detachment through every stage back to limitation. You won't know what kind of a test it is, my friends, until you're in it. Then you will, by George, you will. <laughs> for thousands of lives you work virtually for a fractional cosmic consciousness might last a couple of hours in a space-time continuum. And then what you do? You leave it. Why? Because after this, you can then be of service. It's like the space people have says be said before, learn to be of service and then be of service. No longer are you of service to one, but to a world of people. A great subtlety runs through all these things. You try everything for meditation, but you mustn't stay in meditation. 
You go into it and come out of it, down again into the pigsty. You go into meditation from there to cosmic consciousness when you're ready. Detach, come back again to mankind. This is the essence. There are two Buddhas. Told you this before. Let me remind you. There are two Buddhas. One is the kind of person who detaches from everything, goes out into the wilderness, goes into these deep states of meditation and stays there, letting mankind get on the best way he can. That's one kind. The other kind of Buddha is this. He knows he can go into these states. He knows that. But he serves mankind and he does the other too, the practice to go into the deeper states as well whenever he can find the time, chance, opportunity in the correct place. He gets a cosmic consciousness and what does he do? Detaches himself and comes back again to mankind. Space people have said there isn't any argument as to which is the greater. The second one, he is the greater one. Because the first one, the first one has many lessons to learn, but the second one, he is the greater. It's easy to be a good man in a, in a, in a monastery, but you, you put a load of dancing girls in the monastery <laughs> uh, 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 and a liquor counter at the end of it, and then let's see who's going to be a good man. <laughs> This, says Mars Sector 6, is the essence of adeptship. Not acceptance as much as detachment. So the adept detaches, taking from his glorious violet head the golden crown of cosmic consciousness to leave it in the supra-mind belt. The supra-mind belt is the soul mind belt. Consciousness, superconsciousness, supraconsciousness, above superconsciousness, leaves it in the mind belt. He's been through this initiation. He can go back to it. He's detached from it. He can go back to it then. Again through service does he go. He go comes again to mankind through service. But what a service he can give this time. Not many have done it. Read your books. How many people talk about cosmic consciousness? Very few. They haven't got that place yet. A Yogananda had cosmic consciousness. He left it. He came over to America, which he absolutely detested the idea of doing, uh, but he gave tremendous, tremendous uh, teaching and, and service to the people over here and tended to rise the consciousness of the whole land and in Britain as well uh, by writing books and so on all over the world. He did far, far more good than if he'd have stopped. Uh, that day when his master patted him on the heart five times, if he'd have stopped in cosmic consciousness, you wouldn't have heard of him. He would have had a lot happier life, of course. A lot happier. 
Because you see, you find heaven and leave it. That's what you've got to do. Because whosoever walks out, out of these gates can always walk back through them again. In greater glory, though. It's almost odd when you hear somebody say um, he would have had a happier life uh, and then he chose not to. Because it, it, Again, that goes so much against what we've been told to do on earth. To try and create a happy life for yourself and those around you. Um, but I think in previous lessons, he's mentioned the difference between happiness and joy. And that's, that's a big difference. And joy is, an, is, a, is a soul uh, thing. It, it's, it's a feeling of, of, um, of joy. It, it's, it's, it's a deeper, like happiness is more of a, a mental thing. It, it's a, it's, you're happy about your situation. But joy is, is, I almost hesitate saying it, but, but happiness is almost a, a selfish kind of a thing. Whereas joy, you, you, have, you have this, this joy that everyone is, is, is good and uplifted and one. Whereas happiness is almost kind of a, I'm happy, or, or those around me are happy and they're smiling. It's, a, it's, a, it's not even a subtle difference. It's just difficult to explain for some reason. Mm. Mm, it's an expansive celebration. It's not, it's not an uh, internal you celebration. It's a celebration of life. Yeah, that's, that's a nice way of putting it. Celebration of life. So reading on, and we'll go to the other reading. Uh, terrestrial man is con continually limiting these latent abilities within his real self. He is continually imposing limitation after limitation upon these glorious aspects of true creation. What is the result? Racial prejudice, adherence and vain worship of some piece of multicolored cloth, possession and family tie. He does not realize and cannot fully realize until after lives of service, that no one is a nearer relative to him than his enemy. He does not realize that he is a cell in the body of the whole cosmic whole until he has gained the four freedoms. That's very true. And it... Dr. King talks about detachment, and um, none of us can really understand and appreciate what it must have been like to leave cosmic consciousness and come back to um, Earth, virtually, to L.A. Um, it's, uh, it must have been quite a shock, you know. Um, but we're told, and there's a beautiful extract from... Transmission by the Master Theorius, given February 28, 1960, from Free Will to Freedom. And it's beautifully described. I'd like to just read a little bit of this. He's talking about service. This is the great key, the great yoga, the great practice, the great Christianity, the great religion, the greatest deeds that you can do in these days. Service, service, service is the key which will open the doors to all the powers, to all forms of enlightenment, 
service to others. And then, a thousand years ago, it was meditation in the silence. Today, it is service in the noise, service in the clatter, service in the foulness, service in the smell, in the ignorance of mankind. That really sums it up. It doesn't sound very nice, but it's, it's the yoga of the day. It is the yoga of the day. Karma you know, yoga. Karma yoga. And, you know, a lot of New Age groups, they, they go to Sedona or they go to um, beautiful places and nice places. And uh, who wouldn't want to be there? I mean, it's a wonderful place to be. You know, but, but our master started the Aetherian Society in London, and then he was directed to come and start a headquarters in Hollywood, in Los Angeles. Let's face it, you know, who would want to start a spiritual organization in London or Los Angeles? The last place you'd want to start one. But this is where it is needed. This is where the people are. And let's face it, Los Angeles is, is virtually at the center of materialism. It's the center of, of, you know, of, the, uh, of the industry, as it were. And the industry is really designed to, um, to make people um, happy, really happy. Not joyful, but happy. Nothing wrong with it, but I'm just saying that, you know, if you have too much focus on that, and let's face it, um, the West pretty much is in that category. If you look at who do we give the most money to, who do we give the most respect to these days? entertainers. It's the football players, the basketball players, the singers, the actors. Those are the ones that get the most money. It's, 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 we're kind of going a little bit off track, really. You got things like man-made, or made in China, or made in the United States of America. Well, what about made from your heart? What about made from your mind? Whatever happened to original creation? Whatever happened to you and me? Why are we constantly externalizing our world? And is it so difficult for us to think that we turn inwards and find the heaven and we close our eyes and we see darkness and yet thousands of lifetimes have we continued to support this environment that we are in, that's why the bravery factor is in play, realizing that the dark forces are at work here. Their key objective is to keep mankind fearful of loss, loss of so many issues. And then you have the issues of selfishness and the issues of ignorance and the issues of the lack of love in life, true love, everlasting love. Is it so surprising that we have no made in my heart? You can't, what can you say is made from you? So here is a great opportunity to start making something that you're proud of, and that is your divine expression. So everything here is all directed from the inner. That's why the Master King says, how can you know peace unless you've experienced peace? Where do you find peace? Well, certainly many of us have experienced some aspects of peace after 
we have expended and directed our energy towards helping others for a length of time. Even if you did, for instance, a marathon of doing the 12 blessings for, let's say, six hours straight. And after that, you are wrapped around you, swirling in energy, beautiful divine energy. And you wait. And you ask one question, for instance, is, I request the presence of peace. What happens? It comes to you. Maybe if it's the first time, maybe it's a good thing to try. Is expending yourself for others, and then after you've reached that, let's say an hour, two hours, several days, several weeks, maybe years it'll come upon you. One doesn't know. Everyone has a different karmic pattern. But in other words, these wonderful mystical experiences on the road towards cosmic consciousness are achieved by your limiting yourself and focusing your divinity towards the suffering and the upliftment of our world. Because it is so important. You just have to look. Once again, we keep repeating ourselves, and it sounds a little bit monotonous, but it's important to entrench this, really log it in your mind, really etch it in there, to think that you have the ability to change the course of history and believe it. And at the same time, raise yourself. Brian's going to talk a little bit about the Ethereum Society staff system, how it's a wonderfully devised system for those who are interested, for instance, to be karma yogis and effectively helping humanity. But in the action of being a staff member, there's an enormous limitation. You can't be going out here, there, and everywhere. You're actually in this uh, headquarters, if not here, and one of the branches or uh, European headquarters, and day in, day out, and you are absolutely at the call of humanity's needs. Well, you know, you bring up a good analogy, and that is with the 12 blessings. It's, you know, we're told by the Master Jesus that you will experience great peace after you've done the blessings. And, you know, sometimes you may not feel it that potently, but for myself, uh, anyway, especially on a pilgrimage, and we have one coming up this Saturday to Mount Baldy, um, once you spend that many hours, say a few hours, in doing, say, five or six or seven 12 blessings on a holy mountain, and you take the time, rather than run off the mountain, and take the time, say, a half an hour or so, and find a little place to go uh, alone, you will feel this tremendous, beautiful peace descend upon you. And that is basically a microcosm of what you can accomplish in your life the more you spend in service. If you kind of see that, like, and you take a few hours and, and you're, you're deciding not to do anything for yourself for these few hours and you're doing the 12 blessings, giving energy back to the world, and the reaction is great peace. And likewise, if you spend your life, the more of your life that you spend holding back um, your running after material and desire and, and um, the kinds of things that we're told to run after, and you, and you hold back from that, you will then start to feel, perhaps not as potently, but it will slowly come into your life and you'll feel this peace. And that's really what our master set up in the Ethereum Society. He set up 
different levels, different ways of um, bringing yourself to a stage of limitation, which will then bring you this this peace and this joy. You know, and it goes from you know friend to to uh, member to initiate to staff member, to full-time staff member, to task force member, etc. And each step along the way, you know, when you're an associate member, you give up one day a year. That's, that's the limitation, one day a year. And then when you become a full member, it's say, 14 days or 14 evenings where you're commemorating certain things. And then when you become a, um, a staff member, you give up virtually every single night and, and your weekends. And you're giving this up. You're holding yourself back from what you would normally want to do, but you're coming in here or wherever, wherever you are in the world on staff, and you're helping Dr. King's organization give service, world service, karma yoga to the world. And the reaction has got to be, got to be joy, and it's got to be peace. Sometimes it always isn't apparent when you come around here. Um, but, you know, when I, when I was with the king the last 10 years of his life, and I was up in um, at least the last four or five years up in Santa Barbara, and I couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere without his permission. And virtually days would go by, and I wouldn't be able to leave the house virtually. And it, it, it sounds horrible. You know, it sounds terribly restrictive. But I have to say, I was the, I was the happiest person um, at that time. Because it was, it was a slow, gradual limitation of my time. You know, I, I left college when every, you could do anything you want, and I, and I came out here, and slowly I became a member, and a staff member, and a full-time staff member, and then with, with the master for 24 hours a day. And it was a slow progression. And so my limitations were kind of like pulled away a little bit at a time through the years until I get to the point with, with him the last few years, I was completely limited as far as, say, most people would have thought. My family thought I was nuts. Uh, but I, you know, I still treated them nicely, and we still have a good relationship. But they, they couldn't quite really understand what the heck I was doing. But I was, I was, just, uh, I was just, I was extremely happy, extremely happy at that time because of the limitations. Well, not, not just because it, it's, you, you limit yourself to, to give gr- great service. You know, it, it, it's also true, you, you shouldn't just limit yourself to limit yourself. You know, I mean, no, there are certain forms of yoga that kind of teach that. And that's not what uh, we teach at all here. You, you limit yourself in order to help others, to give healing to individuals or the world as a whole. That's why you limit yourself. little short story as well. In the years of the development of Operation Sunbeam, there were many, many visits to the psychic center in Lake Powell in the deserts of Utah. Throughout any weather and throughout the months, the 12 months of the year, we had visited this place, this sacred and holy place. And as a team member myself, I was oftentimes put on the beach alone for hours alone, while the master who went along in his boat, Phantom, went on the waters of Lake Powell, 
miles and miles he would travel on his own studying the psychic center, learning every day something new, and never telling anyone what he had learned. Um, Safe to say that it was important, vastly important, to the preservation of mankind, his understanding of the psychic center. Now, if you look at this individual, you see a boat, a man, on a vast expanse of water. He is asking God, through his abilities, to reveal the inner workings and the nature of a psychic center of this planet. And over a period of some years, a few years, he accomplished his task. He wasn't really allowed with his health condition and or the weather conditions which changed abruptly there. He wasn't allowed to stay there continuously to solve this problem and this inquiry. He had to come back to it, leave it, detach, come back to it, attach, then come back to Los Angeles, go back to Lake Powell. This went on for years. Now, the reason why I'm telling the story is because from this perspective of a servant of Dr. King, having been left on the beaches for many hours throughout these years alone and with nothing to do except for sit, pray, wait, observe, hours hours and hours would pass. Then he would arrive, a speck out of the, off the horizon, come closer, pick me up, quietly jump on board, leave on the boat back to Huawei. Years later, I went on a trip by myself to Lake Powell, alone. Went to the same beach where I had been dropped off the years prior, alone. Within one hour that I was there, my higher self revealed to me a vision of the psychic center itself. Beautiful, undeniable, beautiful, crystalline shapes of varying sizes revolved just above the water surface, high into space, like a huge onion shape. It tapered off right, flaring up into the heavens above. And within this whole beautiful orchestration were the very sights, I believe, that the Master saw himself, and more did he see. This vision lasted maybe 30 seconds. And it was as clear as day. My eyes were open to see every shape. The colors were indescribable along these crystals that were revolving in different angles, different heights, and different dimensions. And they all were in orchestration in this psychic center. The point I'm making here, not to tell the story from me, but is to say that upon the limitations of self-imposed in service, that one day along your path, You will have mystical experiences. You will have awakenings that will come out of the blue because you you deserve them and you're ready for them and you will do something with them. So sometimes we become despondent. We think that, oh, this is a drudgery, as the first question was this evening when we started off. Service can be a drudgery. And what about the lives that we're, we're told that we have to lead in service before we can start entering into meditation, into enlightenment. But there are so many glorious nuances, so many glorious steps along the way that we can enjoy. 
It's like that path in the wilderness. We start off along that path. We start to see the little flowers change and we start to, the different shrubs and the different trees and the different wildlife. And we, it's all an adventure. And this is what we're on, an adventure. And praise be to God that we have so much to look forward to. The nice thing is that we, we've been given this path of the adventure. And, and if, if, we, if we follow this path, then we will have such experiences. It, it has to happen. We're guaranteed that we will arrive at cosmic consciousness one day. It's guaranteed that that will happen. And either we can take us a thousand more lives or a hundred lives. You know, it's up to us. And with this path, if we follow it, um, you know, th- things, will, things can start happening very, very quickly. They can start happening very, very quickly. There's no question about that. What do you say? Shall we uh, well, I think move we should, on? Yes, move on to the last. I think um, we've got uh, one more. This is a fairly long. This is nine minutes, and this is where our master explains in far more detail um, Kundalini and the rising of it. All right. Uh, this is um, extract number seven, Mark. Know this, when the two flowers of the heart are fed and sleep, and the three flowers of the head are fed and go inwards, and the middle sentinel remains silent, then does the dawn of the consciousness which is cosmic break, and you become one with that which is. The two flowers of the heart are the two psychic centers within the heart. Kundalini has risen. She has brought all she, because it's a female force, she has brought all the power up through Susumna or the channel in the center of the spine up through the heart. I told you before, as it passes through a center, the center bursts into brilliant life. And then as it passes from that center upwards, that center closes and becomes passive because it brings all its power with it. Kundalini as she rises, gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, you see, until when it comes up to the higher centers, it's a colossal force, tremendous. You can't describe it, uh, except to say it's a tremendous force. You see, now, when the two centers of the heart are fed, in other words, receive this burst of power, and they draw the, the aspect out of the mind belt, which the heart center normally does draw. That high mind, draw this out, take that up, up to the head, the middle sentinel remains silent, this here remains silent. I won't quite tell you what that means at the moment. Um, I think we're bordering on some deep, almost occult abstractions and something which uh, is, is... shouldn't be quite let out at this stage, except to say that it remains silent. I don't mean uh, silent in a physical sense, because you couldn't talk anyway. You're above that. You're already... When the heart center is activated, you're already in deep trance. You can no longer move. You're paralyzed up to the heart, if it comes to that, in the right way, of course. Um, This remaining silent, I... I see just a tiny little red flash of light 
uh, you <laughs> remain silent. I do know exactly what this means, and there might come a day when the red flash of light will turn to white and I can kind of go ahead. But oh, if you discover it in your contemplations, uh, you will see too um, why there is a need just to be a wee bit careful about that particular sentence at this moment doesn't quite mean what it says. It means, put it this way, something a lot more. But we're bordering, bordering on an aspect of occultism which um, is, is uh, white magic with a capital W, so I'd better just be slightly careful, if you don't mind. Uh, well, whether you do or not, I mean, there's the, the light. <laughs> um, and the middle sentinel, in any case, the middle sentinel is the throat center. That has too received its charge and it remains silent. Um, it, it, it does mean that. It means some more. Uh, then doth... Oh. And the three flowers of the head are fed and go inwards. Uh, well, actually, this means, of course, that the three psychic centers in the head here, the main so-called Christ Center is split up into three definite active psychic centers. These two receive this charge of Kundalini and they go inwards. In other words, Kundalini, the goddess, is married mystically to Brahma, to the spark of God within which resides in Brahma Chakra, which is here. You've seen the, the, the Buddha, haven't you, with a halo up here and all these beings with halos up here. Well, that halo was really to depict the Brahma Chakra or Brahma Center, which is here. We call it the Golden Sphere. Uh, other occult organizations have different names for it. It doesn't matter so much what you call it. They all recognize the fact that it is there, just above the top of the head. Well, these centers charged and go inwards. It really means they recognize uh, Brahma Chakra. You see, in other words, it's a very, very high state. It's above enlightenment and it, you go above meditation now. Meditation, uh, uh, I can talk all night. Meditation can operate when the heart center is active. Uh, as well as when this center is active, as well as when this center is active. But you get, you go through all the gamut of the visions and, and the mystic sounds and so on made by the different centers and you go through all that gamut, life after life, and detach from all that business and meeting masters and so on, you detach from that and so on and so on and so on until you are completely, uh, uh, every... Uh, uh, atom of, uh, or electron of energy within you is centered on one purpose that's to raise this Kundalini far enough. You go through all the gamut of floating in the air, uh, projection and so on. Because for instance when you raise Kundalini past the solar plexus center uh, the body becomes light and you can levitate and so on. That type of thing unless you detach. If you detach, you become heavy again. You see, you go, you go through all these gamuts until you marry it together. That is cosmic consciousness. So it's the greatest detachment of all times, and yet the greatest attachment. 
because you are attached to all things. You recognize all things. Why? Because you have detached from all things. That's why. You see, you have great... As Kundalini rises, you have tremendous magical powers. Uh, powers of, of hypnotism, powers of hearing sounds miles away, powers of hearing, uh, of understanding strange languages, uh, powers of, of analyzing forces, powers of floating through the air, um, uh, powers of, of bringing your, your wishes into manifestation, uh, uh, and so on, powers of dematerializing a part or whole of the body, powers of becoming invisible and so on. You detach from all this because you recognize them as just nonsensical acts of magic which don't mean anything anyway. You detach, bring it up, and then you get this wonderful glory of all glories, this cosmic consciousness. It's a known fact, a known and provable fact, Many of you in this room have proved this for yourself and you know it. If you detach uh, from certain things, those things are poured at your feet in as much as you need. And many people in this room, for instance, have gone past the attachment to, to, uh, to money. You've gone past that. You're working in some kind of a service. You need money in this world, but you don't worry about it, you're not grab and graspy and all that business, you've gone way past that, and yet you notice that always your needs are met, you don't know where they're going to be met or how they're going to be met till the eleventh hour, but they are met, you know this, why? Because you've detached from it, and your needs will be met, they will be, you might have to work very hard to ensure that they are, but they will be met. Even at the eleventh hour, they will be met. Now you've learned this lesson, and this is a lesson which the masses haven't learned. So you're way ahead, because you've learned something else too. The subtlety of this detachment. About a wrap tonight. We've had an excellent night, I think. Yeah, it was good. Uh, excellent good, night. Good, uh, good transmission. Just for you out there in podcast line, when the master refers to, in the last extract, when he refers to, he sees a red light or the red pip. Um, throughout his um, life, uh, when he became the adept, the master, um, he was allowed to speak freely to, to earth. But at times, higher authority warned him to stop his train of thought or his, what he was going to mention at that moment by flashing a red light in front of him. And um, Brian and I have both been with him many occasions when he was talking about various things and he could not even share amongst his close people sometimes certain information because it was that classified and or it was not... Sometimes, many times... Yeah, it was just not, uh, what would we have with not do with the knowledge anyway? You know. Um, mm. One of the last things we'll say here, uh, at least I'd like to say here, share one additional story uh, with the Master, saying that even though he gained in years age, and we see photographs of him like over here and over there in his 50s and 60s and 70s, um, there were a, a rare occasion where he would transform. 
into another person. Um, Santa Barbara, on one occasion, he required absolute silence for one week. He would not say a word for one week. All communication in Santa Barbara, this is in the early 80s, was to be done by handwriting. A phone call, I'd answer the phone, i relay the message in handwriting, and he'd read it and write back. The reason for that was because he was on a particular wavelength requiring his absolute control of all his energies. And speaking, by the way, is a lot of energy as we use uh, throughout the day. We use a lot of energy speaking. So he required all his energies to accomplish a certain task, which at that time was classified. He did not reveal his purpose for that week of silence. However, after about the fourth or fifth day of the day-to-day experiences of Santa Barbara, which was indicatively waking up in the morning, having a small breakfast, taking his dog for a walk out on the bluff or down at the marina, picking up possibly some some, uh, food, uh, like fresh fish at the, the wharf, coming back to the house, preparing the fish, the meal. He quietly sat, continued his contemplations, his, his, uh, uh, whatever he was uh, doing, uh, mentally and quietly. And throughout these days, there was a transformation. His stature changed from being about my height, five foot ten and a half. He became easily six foot three. And the hair, which was kind of like, uh, not salt pepper, but mainly white, very white, became at least five or six inches longer. He came down the hallway, and I looked at him. I had to look up at him. His eyes were a blue that is indescribable blue. His face is as if he was a cinnamon-colored face. It was a suntan that he didn't have that suntan the day before. He didn't have it the day after. It was a rare occurrence. Whatever was happening to him, even though he was 60-something years old, he was in a state, a higher state of being that transformed his body. Now, did it, did it stay? No. It withdrew. He returned to his normal state, and then it went on the rest of the stay there. But these are, these are interesting uh, little stories to tell because it's not what we, we're not all what we appeared to be, and neither was he. And so let's just give ourselves a little slack because sometimes we're, you guys think yourselves a less than, but you're truly angels. You are truly angels. Let us play the last extract. All right, this finishes it off. 22 seconds. This is Mars Sector 6. That's uh, track 8. Transmute. Limitation. In... The four fires and enjoy the light of the fifth. We all raise our hands in prayer. Divine and wondrous Parabrahma. We thank Thee from the bottom of our hearts for this great wisdom given to us in these days 
from Mars Sector 6 through Master George King in the form of the Nine Freedoms. We ask that we might be inspired, strengthened and uplifted by this great wisdom so that we might become even better and firmer upon our path of service back to Thee. Om Om Om, it is done. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week when it will be the sixth freedom Then we finally leave Earth. Then we'll finally leave Earth. (laughs) And the bus is right outside. (laughs) This brings to a conclusion the fifth freedom, cosmic consciousness. Next week we will continue our study of the nine freedoms with the sixth freedom, ascension please visit us at www.atherius.org, your cosmic connection. Thank you.